Hello and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. I'm joined on the line by three of our payments regulation experts, Harry Eddis. Hello. Dean Price. Hi there. And Paul Harris. Hello. Last month, we talked about the FCA's consultation on safeguarding. Harry, apart from Liverpool winning the league, would you like to catch us up on what has happened since then? Well, Simon, the FCA was consulting on new guidance on safeguarding customer funds. And in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, they tried to wrap up the consultation in a couple of weeks. But the original deadline was extended in response to requests from the industry. In the end, the consultation closed on the 12th of June. And less than a month later, the FCA then issued the final version of its guidance. In fact, in one day, the FCA released three documents directed to payment services firms. The first of those documents is the guidance itself. The second is a feedback statement, which summarizes the replies to the consultation and the FCA's response to those. And last but not least is a letter addressed to CEOs of payment firms. And this refers not only to the finalized guidance, but also sets out the FCA's expectations on several other topics. Thanks, Harry. Uh, we'll come back to that letter shortly. But, but first, let's tie up the loose ends in relation to the consultation. Jean, why don't you kick things off? Thanks, Simon. Well, the new guidance is split into um, three sections, and those cover safeguarding, prudential risk management and wind down plans. I think the first thing to say is that the FCA has made some changes to the draft it consulted on, but overall the guidance is really unchanged and certainly on some of the more contentious points that the industry were um, quite vocal about, it has doubled down on its approach. So before we talk about safeguarding, I thought it was probably worth flagging the FCA's final position on prudential risk and wind down plans. Um, these are both two things which are going to create um, sort of their own work streams and industries within payments firms. So the first one on um, prudential risk is they've now given more detail about how firms should calculate capital adequacy and what risk management arrangements they should have in place. And this includes more detail on the role that they expect senior management to be playing in reviewing the firm's stress testing, capital resources and more generally regularly reviewing its systems and controls. So how, what has the FCA done here? Well, it's clarified also the liquidity and capital stress setting should be appropriate to the nature, size and complexity of the firm, which is useful. So it's definitely not an one size fits all. It should also be taken into account rather the um, how risky the business model is. They've taken a similar approach to wind down plans where they've added um, guidance to say that the complexity of those plans should again be proportionate to the size and the nature of the firm. Um, while these clarifications are generally welcomed, um, because the payment sector covers a wide range of types of firm, various sizes, it's good to know that this one size all approach isn't being taken. But it is one where particularly in the really entrepreneurial space and firms that are scaling up very, very quickly will need to watch out for. Um, you know, if your business is growing and you're pushing out new products and services and you're going into new markets, a wind down plan, which may have been appropriate a year or two ago, may no longer be fit for purpose in relation to the new size of your business. So this really does need to um, be a living, breathing process for senior management to make sure that they're always ready in the event of things going wrong. Um, Paul, do you want to pick up on safeguarding now? Sure. And as Jean says, a lot of the substance here is actually unchanged from the original draft. So the commentary around record keeping, annual audits of safeguarding compliance, annual reviews of custodians and so on, 
has all been retained with actually very few and only minor clarifications. And as we, as we also discussed last time, even though this is labelled as guidance, some of what the FCA is actually now saying kind of that really amounts to new requirements for payment institutions and e-money institutions. So I think it's worth firms kind of beginning to benchmark their current policies and procedures against the new detail that has now been published. And certainly one thing that we discussed in one of our previous podcasts around the FCA's consultation was that the FCA's proposal to require payments firms to obtain an acknowledgement letter from their custodians or banks. And this letter was going to specify that the payments firm holds its customers' money with that custodian or bank as the trustee. And in that final version of its, of its guidance that the FCA has now published, the FCA has, has now confirmed its view that actually those relevant funds that are held on trust, that they are held on trust, and that acknowledgement letters should be sought and should refer to this trust point specifically. Now, looking back to my uh, law school days, there are definitely some very uh, niche aspects of trust law, which um, we could possibly dive into here. For example, such as, you know, what the fiduciary obligations are owed when you have a, a, of a trust of this nature uh, in place, what a statutory trust means in practice, and how this all interacts with the safeguarding requirements under the relevant European directives for payment service providers and e-money issuers. But without trying to get too bogged down in the detail for now, I think the main point for firms to take away is that actually this is another example of the FCA bringing its standards for, for payments firms and e-money issuers closer to the standards applicable to the rest of the financial service industry. For example, by making the FCA principles for businesses apply to payment services and e-money firms last year. And I think this general topic is something that Harry is going to be uh, picking up later in this podcast when we discuss senior management governance. And one thing that we've been looking at actually since the FCA guidance has been published is um, looking at how it compares to the cash rules, which e-money and payment institutions don't have to comply with, but other financial services firms do have to comply with. You already have a statutory trust over client money. You also have obligations on diversifying who you hold that money with, and you also need to perform regular reconciliation between what should be held in that account and what is actually being held. Furthermore, you also have an obligation to get acknowledgement letters, conduct annual audits, and there are also various record-keeping requirements on top of all of that. All of these are now features of the payment safeguarding regime too. So with this latest move from the FCA, the two regimes look increasingly indistinct. Given the low interest environment and the additional obligations and costs involved in safeguarding, there is, I suppose, a further question as to whether it will push firms to look at the insurance method of safeguarding. We know from helping numerous firms in the past with their authorization, that the FCA does not really like the insurance method. So we'll see whether there'll be a raft of firms looking at this option afresh and whether the FCA will potentially be more amenable to those wishing to go down this route. So it sounds like firms could have a lot to do to comply with this new guidance. How long do they have to implement it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Pretty much no time at all. Um, the guidance is in force already. Um, and given the tone of the FCA's CEO letter, which I think we're going to come on to next, um, firms will need to already be engaging with the detail of the guidance and how they can implement the various action points arising from it as soon as possible. And actually, to, to help firms, we have drawn up a brief document outlining the main action points for firms. And you know, absolutely, we would be delighted to share this with anyone who would like to get in touch with us to discuss the FCA's guidance and the CEO letter. And I suppose one important point that we should make and that we do make in the note is that for much of what the FCA is highlighting is not only a question of day-to-day -day compliance, but also how firms 
go about evidencing the compliance and specifically evidencing that they've implemented the actions from the latest guidance and taken heed of what the FCA has been saying. Yeah, and I would add, I mean, the FCA has labelled this as being temporary and gu temporary guidance. Um, it's temporary because, as Harry's already touched on, they say it was drawn up urgently in response to concerns relating to COVID-19. Um, I have my doubts on that, but never mind. Later in the year or early next year, it expects to include it as part of consultation on changes on its broader guidance for payments firms, um, which all of us who are in the sector will know is called the, the approach document. So it looks on the face of it as though there could be an opportunity for firms to seek further changes or clarifications in the next year. But, you know, as we say, based on what the FCA has said to the industry in the DSCO letter, I would expect firms won't be holding their breath that much can be changed um, in relation to this temporary guidance. Thanks, Jean. Well, let's pick up on that letter now. Harry, what are your thoughts on this letter from the FCA? Well, first I'd say I would agree with Paul that there are lots of actions for firms to take arising from the finalised guidance. But actually, I think in the longer term, this letter is likely to prove to be more pivotal in terms of internal compliance work streams and future engagement with the regulator. I would say that it's not unusual for the FCA to write to CEOs of firms like this, highlighting certain areas where they have concerns, identifying findings from market studies, or reminding firms about upcoming regulatory deadlines. Here, what the FCA has done is to use the guidance we've just been discussing as an opportunity to set out its ex expectations for compliance more generally. It's been sent to all of the firms in the FCA's payment firms portfolio, which includes all the payment institutions and e-money institutions that the FCA oversees. The letter spells out several different areas in which the FCA says firms need to take action to prevent harm to customers. The letter has a clear message. The FCA intends to take swift and decisive action if firms fail to meet the FCA's expectations in these areas. Those areas covered by the, by the letter are safeguarding and risk management, which we've already covered, financial crime, customer communications, governance and record keeping, and finally, Brexit. As you can tell, these cover a wide range of regulatory obligations. And frankly, I think it is broad enough that the FCA could point to it in relation to nearly any breach by a firm in the future as justification for taking action against firms. In fact, this is not only strike one, but strike two because this is actually the second Dear CEO letter which the FCA has sent to payment firms on safeguarding. Last year, the FCA reviewed how e-money and payment services providers met safeguarding requirements in practice and used the Dear CEO letter to identify several concerns that needed addressing. So the latest letter is a shot across the bow to say that if firms don't tighten up their practices after several warnings, then the FCA is ready to take enforcement action. So are there any areas of the letter you think that firms should be paying particular attention to? Well, there's a lot in there for firms to digest, and we've been having conversations with clients about what the letter and the guidance means for them in terms of specific actions and work streams. Inevitably, the areas firms should prioritise will depend a lot on their own business, the precise payment services they provide, any historical engagement of the regulator on any of these issues, and so on. But in general, three things struck me from the letter as being noteworthy. First, the focus on senior management oversight. As you know, authorised payment institutions and e-money institutions fall outside the senior management regime, which applies to other financial services firms. 
But there are several reminders in here about the responsibility of CEOs and other board members to ensure that the firm maintains robust governance arrangements, that they have oversight of the firm's agents, that they have sign off on stress testing, as Jean has mentioned, that they regularly review the firm's systems and controls, and so on. And given the previous commentary around the focus on enforcement, it surely uh, could be the case that the FCA will consider enforcement against individuals as well. Second, the messages around record keeping. Paul was saying this earlier. It's not enough to comply with your regulatory obligations in some areas. You also need to document the compliance and be able to demonstrate compliance through your record keeping. The FCA says it has found in most cases that record keeping of regulated processes is inadequate. Finally, Brexit. Essentially, the FCA is telling firms with customers in the EEA to decide now what happens at the end of this year when transition ends and warns firms that dropping your EEA customers overnight would be a poor outcome. I think some firms may have assumed that by now the UK and EU would have agreed either equivalence or a delay to the end of the transition period. Certainly the end of the transition period doesn't look as though it's going to be delayed and we're not entirely sure where equivalence is going to go. So in our discussions with clients, we are focusing on what needs to happen between now and the end of the year to implement contingency plans to the extent that has not already happened. So finally, Harry, what should firms be doing? Well, it's a very good question, Simon, and I hope that people have understood that there is really some quite meaty topics to look at in this Dear CEO letter. Um, as I've already mentioned, this is strike two. So firms really do need to look through the CEO letter, each of the particular parts, and go through and work out whether they uh, are in compliance uh, with each of the areas that the FCA picks up. And it's not just enough to just look and see whether you're in compliance. You really should be looking to evidence and record um, the conclusions as to why you believe that you are in compliance with each of those particular areas. And if you were to assume that you were in compliance and something were to go wrong, the FCA would, would very definitely point to the fact that they have given effectively two warnings to the industry to have um, all of their ducks in a row, and it would make enforcement action much, much more likely. So it really is something to take very seriously. We've seen this in the more mainstream financial services world, where dear CEO letters are followed up quite quickly with enforcement action, where the FCA feels that firms continue not to comply with their obligations as spelt out in the Dear CEO letter. So quite a big deal and quite a lot of work to be done. Thank you very much. And as Harry and Paul have mentioned, do get in touch with us if you would like to talk about the uh, the latest guidance and the Dear CEO letter and, and to talk about what it means for you. And let's finish with what you might have missed. This is where one of us tries to cover a topic that might have flown under the radar and to do that in just 30 seconds. I've just lost a few rounds of Connect Four and as a result, it will be me telling you about the European Payments Initiative. 16 European banks have launched the European Payments Initiative to create a new European card and digital wallet system. Why is this a big deal? Well, because it's backed by the European Central Bank, which for some time now has been calling for a European competitor to the incumbent card schemes in the US and elsewhere. The project is still in the planning stage, but is aiming to become operational as soon as 2022. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet at linklatestech or email fintech.podcasts at linklatest.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.